0: Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 142 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. I got to tell you, one of the things that i become very, very passionate about in leadership is just the soul care and life care of leaders. And sometimes you work so hard at work that you kind of neglect yourself, or you neglect your family, or you burn out, or you just become a different person that you don't really want to be. And Lance Witt is my guest today. He worked at a a large church, uh, got to a place where he was not very healthy, and has spent uh, the last number of years of his life helping leaders, and particularly helping pastors get healthy. So if things aren't going 100% the way you want inside of you, in maybe your relationship with God, your relationship with your wife— maybe you're not the dad or the mom you thought you would be, you got to listen in. Lance and I have a great conversation about that. So he is today's guest on the podcast. Also just want to say thank you. Thank you to all of you who were part of the High Impact Leader launch a few weeks ago. Man, it is so exciting. We have over 2,200 leaders now who have enrolled in the High Impact Leader course. And it's not available right now. Um, But my heart behind that course is basically to get you in a place where you don't get burned out. And not only that, you go to your highest level of impact at work and at home. Um, It's just a whole time energy and priority management system. Uh, The course is closed right now, and it's going to be gone for a while. Uh, We may open it up once in a while, very quietly, just for a flash day or two. Hang on for that. But in the meantime, it's gone. And uh, it'll be back at New Year's, but I want to thank everybody for making that such a great experience. also want to say thank you to those of you who have reached out to our sponsors. Um, I have an incredible team behind this podcast, so it's changing and growing. But did you know, it's, I mean, you hear my voice, but you never hear Toby, the producer who uh, produces all of these episodes so I can focus on guests. You um, sometimes hear from Sarah Piercy or Leanne Kelly or Holly Beth Singleton. Um, we've also got Kevin Jennings, who's behind the scenes on this team, and Chris Lemma, who did all of my and does all of my web design. Even when the High Impact Leader launch like crashed everything, those guys sprang into action. Jen Bailey um, is part of the customer support team. And I know you're like, what? You have all those people working behind the scenes? Trust me. When, when you have hundreds of thousands of downloads a month and you get hundreds of emails a week and you've got millions of people who read your blog and download your podcast, you need a team. One person can't do this. And the question is, well, how is all of this funded? Like, who pays for this? Well, um, our sponsors are part of that so that we can continue to give you what you get every week for free. So I just want to thank all of our sponsors over the last year. And I want to thank Trained Up because you know what? They're they're a great partner for this podcast um, because not only do they help you get this for free every week, but they're going to help you train your volunteers. So if you haven't visited trainedup.church, and you love this podcast. Will you go over and say hi to those folks? Um, because you probably have a volunteer training issue if you are like 99% of all human beings that work in churches. Because not all your volunteers come to your training events, and and then you know maybe you train everybody, but then five new volunteers sign up. How do you onboard them? That's what trainedup.church is designed to solve. And uh, if you head on over there, you'll see what they offer. Um, They actually have done a lot of volunteer training and you can get their um, prefab package where basically you send your volunteers to their work or you can film all of your own training and then they become the portal, almost like an online course where You don't have to set up the software. You don't have to build the website. They do everything for you. Your volunteers can go online and watch you train them. Or you're like, well, all I have is my phone. Like, we don't have any video equipment. Ah, You can rent theirs. Like, they have pre-done packages, including script writing. So, I mean, there's so many variations. Trainedup.church, go over and hang out with them. So, uh, guys, I just want to thank you so much. Hey, I am concerned about your soul. So is Lance Witt. Here is my conversation with Lance. Well, it's great to have Lance Witt on the podcast today, Lance. welcome. Thank
1: you so much. It's an honor to be with you.
0: Well, it's a lot of fun. We connected uh, a couple of years ago, and I really, really appreciate the work that you are doing, really with the the soul care and and the personal side of pastors. I've got friends you have worked with and and many other people I know who have been impacted by your ministry. Tell us how you got into what you're doing right now. Well, first of all, tell us what you're doing and then tell us how you got into it, because it's a pretty interesting story.
1: Yeah, so I have a ministry called Replenish, and I always kind of say that it's focused on the soul side of leadership and sort of the mantra I often use for my ministry is we want to help people live well so they can lead well. Mm. And I think the order of that really is important, especially sort of coming out of my own journey where I feel like for a lot of years, my entire focus and sometimes obsession was all around leading, and I didn't spend much time, you know, kind of thinking about how I was living. So, so I've been spending the last decade really um, coming alongside leaders and their teams, trying to help them uh, live and lead from a healthy soul. So, um, the backstory, sort of, of how yeah. I got into this is <laughs> the. Sh- the short answer would be, I got in a pretty unhealthy place okay. and i have been trying to learn how, how to get healthy again. But, uh, I was a senior pastor for 20 years. Um, I think very typical of the, the trajectory and journey of a lot of senior pastors start off in a small church, medium sized church. And then in 1999, the end of uh, 99 was invited to join the staff at Saddleback church. And, wow. uh, First went there as the pastor of discipleship. Over time, became one of the teaching pastors and the executive pastor over the ministry side of the church, and uh, ended up staying there for about seven years. And and uh, in the early two thousands was when Rick wrote the book uh, Purpose Driven Life. Yes, and as you can imagine that was a game changer for him and oh, for yeah. our team. There was a tsunami of influence and demands that came his way, and. And so it was, you know, kind of a crazy season uh, in that season. And um, there were some things in the environment that didn't help, but boy, most of the issues were not external. They were really internal. Mm -hmm. And um, stuff that had probably been in, well, I know it had been in my life for a long time. And what happened in those years where my pace of life was out of control is some things began to get revealed about what was going on inside of me. And I didn't understand concepts like living within my limits and
0: right.
1: living with. I mean, healthy. you have
0: limits, Lance. Really?
1: <laughs> I've heard that we maybe have limits and that we should live within them. And actually, God gave them to us. Yeah. So, but I, you know, I, I didn't live with any sense of rhythm. I, I was pretty driven, I always have been, kind of a classic people pleaser, and hmm. so I, I sometimes describe those years as I was an alcoholic working in a bar. Um, wow. And And was not, you know, helpful. So it was both exhilarating and at the same time, um, pretty exhausting. And I finally decided that I needed a change and couldn't stay. And so here I am at age 47, leaving my ministry role there and honestly not sure what I'm going to do. And it was a pretty confusing season. And I remember there was a, a moment when my wife said, you know, I think you need to be open to what God wants to do, because he might have something different in this next season. I kind of assumed I'd just go back and be a senior pastor. It's what I'd done. And so long story short is I'm on a plane ride to Singapore to speak at a conference, and it's middle of the night. Everybody seems to be kind of asleep on the plane, and I'm just wrestling with God. And I just remember crying out and saying, Lord, what do you want me to do in this season of my life? Hmm. And I've had very few mystical experiences in my life. But man, in that moment, God really met me. And the answer came back from the Lord. I want you to help leaders be healthy, holy and humble. Wow. And and I just remember in that moment thinking, "Okay, I could give my life to that. And so for the last decade, I've been on sort of this personal journey to learn again how to live from a healthy soul and then Come alongside leaders, and so out of that experience was birthed this idea of replenish, to uh, kind of come alongside and help leaders with the personal side of their ministry and life.
0: So, was that just like an answer to prayer, or like how did that wrestling happen? You or you just like felt a prompting?
1: Yeah, I think honestly, it just came out of confusion and somewhat a sense of desperation, mm-hmm. um, because obviously here I am, forty-seven. <laughs> I'm kind of thinking, like, okay, what am I going to be when I grow up? Right, and it seems like you ought to have that settled, and that's the time that most guys are settling into the, you know, their prime influence and leadership. And here I am in a transition. I'm not even sure what I'm going to do and how I'm going to make a living. Yeah. And what I'm supposed to give myself to, and so it was out of that sort of uh, moment of angst and frustration and confusion that I was wrestling with the Lord, and and that was you know not not just a one night experience. That was a uh, you know, many weeks of kind of wrestling, but it was in that moment that God met me and gave me a really clear call to what I do today.
0: Lance, when you were framing your story and telling us your story, one of the things I really appreciated about the way you framed it, I mean, it was a crazy season at Saddleback and things were blowing up. But I, and I don't want leaders to miss this. You took responsibility for your burnout, right? I, I taught and as somebody who burned out, and for me it was two thousand six too. It was a pretty ripe year. I had a couple of other friends who burned out around the yeah. same time. It must have been must have been something in the water, I don't know exactly. but uh you know you could you could I could blame a growing church. I could blame whatever, but at the end of the day, I, it's me. I led myself into an unhealthy place. I allowed things to go unresolved. and again, nothing that would really make the headlines. It was just there was a creep in my soul that just God needed to address and for me, uh, when I couldn't do what I wanted to do anymore, that's what really, really um, forced me into change, right? That's how people change sometimes. It's when the pain associated with the status quo is greater than the pain associated with change. But I love how you took responsibility for that. So thanks for that. Now, interestingly enough, I mean, you've written a book about this, a very, very helpful book called Replenish. Um, But in it, you say, you think vision is not the number one issue facing the church today. So I just want to say, I mean, Hey, you, you know, my ministry, I mean, I'm all into helping leaders, you know, lead like never before or whatever. And we talk about vision a lot and I think vision's important, but in your view, there's something that's even more important. You want to tell us what that is?
1: Yeah, there, there's a little backstory to that statement. Um, I was driving down the road listening to a podcast with a well-known kind of high-profile leader, and the question was asked him, what's missing in the church today? And he just quickly responded, vision. And I just remember something in my spirit kind of going, uh, I don't know that I think that's really the core issue. And mm. when, I, when I'm around leaders today, I think in this last generation, we just we haven't lacked big ideas or kind of the call to high-impact vision or... You know, big, hairy, audacious goals. Yeah. And, and certainly, I'm not, you know, I know vision is critical, I know it's important. I'm just not sure that I think it's what holds pastors and churches back sometimes. Right. and um so I, I there's a passage of scripture that's honestly been really marinating in my spirit the last two or three years. and it it at the end, or uh, in Titus chapter two, when Paul is calling slaves to to live in such a way, that they would not speak back to their masters and they would submit and not steal. At the end of verse 10, he says, "Um, I want you to live so that in every way you will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Mm. And, And that word attractive has been a very compelling word to me. And it's like, how do we as leaders live lives that are attractive, have teams that are attractive, and ministries that are attractive. And I think in this world where there's so much kind of hostility, viciousness, um, how do I live and lead in, in a winsome way? And I think that starts with having a healthy soul. Yeah. And sort of, again, it's that sort of inside out principle that Jesus taught. You know, it's, it's what Solomon said, above everything else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And hmm. so I think we we get to vision, but it's not necessarily the starting place. I think it has to start with sort of who I am and how I'm living internally first.
0: And And is that like sort of that thing we've all had with certain leaders? And I mean, even take it outside of the church world, maybe there's business leaders and it's like, wildly successful, but I'm not sure that you're a leader worth emulating. I'm I'm not sure I want to be like you. I'm not, I'm not sure I really want to follow you in that regard because the interior life doesn't really, it isn't something I want. Is that what you're driving at?
1: Yeah, there's a, absolutely. I okay. think you nailed it. And there's a quote I use a lot from a guy uh, named Parker Palmer. And he says, A leader has a special responsibility to pay attention to what's happening inside himself or herself, lest the act of leadership do more harm than good. Mm. And I think when you sit with that, that's really pretty profound. And we've seen it play out, not just in church, but, you know, all around us. Yeah, sure. Very gifted people who sort of lose their way in terms of their character or their internal kind of bearings, and then their interior life begins to drift and they're getting by on their gifts or their experience or their platform and someday it catches up with them right and and there's you know too often there's a there's a train wreck and so this whole issue of learning to pay uh, you know pay attention to your interior life is a really big deal in my estimation
0: yeah i think so and that's kind of what took you out and that's what took me out and again there doesn't have to be like an affair or stealing money or you know, any of the classic things that tend to make headlines, it can just be that, you know, for me, it was sort of emotional burnout, it was physical burnout, it was working too many hours, it was like not attending to the things I needed to really, honestly, in my character, like just, yeah. you know, in, in my husbanding and parenting and just being that I think, you know, I think the ancients called it sanctification. There was some serious work God wanted to do. And it's not like my ministry was garbage. I mean, God used it again and again. But like, Absolutely. it's like, if I want to take you further, I'm going to have to go deeper, right? That's oh. the kind of thing. And that's true. That's true whether you have a growing ministry, a stuck ministry, a declining ministry, a large ministry, small, mid size. I mean, this is kind of just a human issue, isn't it, Lance?
1: Yes, it is. Absolutely. I yeah. think you're right.
0: So in your book, you've got these stats, um, and they're sobering and staggering. Um, and I think we've heard variations of them before in different sources. But if, if you have that available, can you just walk us through just some highlights to you about what happens if you do not attend to your soul? And, and, and I, I just want to say, hey, if I was listening to this 20 years ago, I would have turned this podcast off by now. Just I'm being straight up honest. And uh, I don't know whether you were like that before. Yeah, absolutely. You would have been like a whole bunch of weak guys talking about, white soft stuff, like, shut up and get on with the leadership. Is that that your attitude prior to to (laughs) your life change? I
1: I sometimes say back then I would have looked at this topic and thought this is for underachievers and navel gazers. Yeah, yeah. Like, who has the time for this? When there is a whole world that needs Jesus and when there is so much to, to do and achieve and conquering Jesus' name, who has time for this?
0: And this is, okay, let's, this is true confession time. I actually looked down on people who talked about this, in part because I didn't respect them. Uh, it was arrogance, for sure. It was pride. But there were not a lot of people I respected who had led significant things who were talking about that. Was that something that you, I mean, we haven't talked about this, is that something that you experienced as well? I know for me, that was my sin. That was my poison.
1: Yeah. And I, I would say, first off, I didn't know many people who talked about it.
0: Yeah, that's probably so true too.
1: I did, I kind of had in this category as either having some sort of bizarre theology, or number two, they just weren't leaders. And so yes. you had. You had the leaders who were getting it done, and then you had the contemplators who sat and thought about it.
0: Who really and- enjoyed the trees and the shade and weren't accomplishing yeah. anything with their lives. Right. You know? right. I know.
1: That's, that's, <laughs> okay. That's okay. for sure. All right. What All I right. Thought,
0: so. True confession time. But here's what's at stake. Here's what's at stake. And it's those stats that you did a great job summarizing. So, so walk us through a few that really, for those of us who are still listening, All right. Yeah, I'm kidding. There's a lot of people listening, but,
1: you know, um, you know, some of the things we mentioned, and again, these are not current today, but, you know, 1500 pastors a month walking away from ministry. Yeah. 70% of pastors saying I don't really have a really close friend. Um, You know, high percentage of pastors' wives saying worst thing that ever happened to our family was we went into ministry Uh, The number of people who start out in ministry and retire in ministry, you know, very, very small, you know, 5% or so. Um, One
0: out of, okay, so let's break this down because this is great. 50% of pastors' wives feel that their husband entering ministry was one of the most destructive things ever to happen to their families. Like, whoa. That's right. crazy. And I think there's a time I, I don't I've, I've learned enough not to speak for my wife, but I, I I wouldn't say there was ever a point at which she said it was one of the most destructive things that happened to our family. But I think she would look at it going, this is a toxic combination. Now, she feels very differently today, a decade on the other side of my burnout. She's grateful for ministry, grateful uh, that we found a way to thrive in it. And to be part of a healthy growing church, or, you know, our, we'll talk about this, but our church got healthier. But like, that is, that is staggering. And there's a lot of spouses listening to this going, uh-huh.
1: Yeah. I feel like w- one of the good pieces of news in this is some of this is beginning to turn around. You know, uh, Barna just did some recent research on the state of pastors and, yeah. you know, found that actually a higher percentage of men and women pastoring today are more satisfied and are more content in their roles of pastor. Mm -hmm. Um, 11% describe themselves as high risk for burnout, which is a little lower than it's been in the past. Yeah. Um, A couple of interesting pieces that they shared too were that um, uh, in in comparison to the general public, so the general population, um, pastors struggle more than the general population feeling inadequate with their work. And 75% of pastors said they either sometimes or frequently struggle with mental and emotional exhaustion, mm. uh, which isn't a surprise. I think nope. those are sort of hazards of the kind of work that we do. But it does say there's still room for concern here. So there is some improvement. I think churches are getting better at taking care of pastors, Yeah, you know, giving them better salaries, making sure they have decent time off. So I feel like we're, we're, there's more resources. There's been a little more focus, but I do think there's still a lot to be concerned with. And, and I think one of the things that, you know, I've never seen a survey quantify, but it's the tens of thousands of pastors who just feel stuck, mm. you know, pastoring hasn't turned out like they thought they're now reaching their fifties and kind of like this realization that, wow, this is probably as good as it's going to get. <laughs> And can they find joy and contentment in that faithfulness in whatever assignment they've been given? And so um, I, I think for me, that's a, that's a big piece of this conversation.
0: No, I really appreciate that, Lance. And, you know, a couple of the other stats before we move on to, to some other things that really jumped off the page to me. One out of every 10 ministers will actually retire as a minister. So, you know, if you're in seminary, look around your class, 90% are not going to do this for the rest of their life. And I would think occasionally that's a calling that was there for a season, but more often than not, it's probably not. It's like the calling was still there. People just couldn't, couldn't handle it. And then a third, like 30% of pastors said they had either been in an ongoing affair or had a one-time sexual encounter with a parishioner. Wow. That's huge. That's huge.
1: It's mind-blowing. And, uh, you know, we know that the issue of pornography among Mm -hmm. people in ministry is a huge thing. And so, again, we're not exempt from all those temptations and struggles that exist, you know, in our culture.
0: Yeah. Okay, so those are some of the signs of unhealth and signs of the the problems. Um, so for many leaders, you start out by talking about identity. Um, for a lot of leaders, identity and ministry are intertwined. And again, I w- I would say that definitely has been an issue in my life, right? And that whole idea being... That if you remove, you know, you are what you do, or you are what you accomplish, or you are whatever you grew, right? Yeah. That, you know, put me on a beach somewhere and say, God still loves me, or, or, you know, just, you know, an anonymous life, and God still loves me. That's a real challenge for a lot of leaders, particularly driven leaders. Can you explain that? And why do you think this is so pervasive for pastors?
1: Yeah, so I'd say, first off, just like you, I'm, I'm not exempt. This has been a lifelong battle for me, and probably will continue to be. And I've given this a lot of thought, a lot of as it it relates to my own life. But I, I think for me, I think a lot of us in ministry carry around a script in our head that's a performance script. And Mm -hmm. you know, I can look back now and sort of articulate the script I've carried for so many years. And the script really is: Hey, work hard, be responsible get results and that's how you get loved. And that's how you find your significance and prove your worth. And so when that's true of you, uh, it's very easy for your performance and your ministry to sort of get intertwined with your identity. And, and then you add on top of that because we have a calling yeah, and, and we are all in, right. for, yeah. for We, we and so what we do, it, like it matters and it matters for eternity. And so we live, eat, breathe this stuff. And so when, when that becomes your whole life and there really isn't much beyond that, then it's, again, very easy to go to that place where all of your significance and value is sort of defined and how well the church is doing.
0: Yeah, I mean, in some ways, you start your day by praying to the same God that you, quote, work with, right, all day long. So it's it's inherently confusing. And I had a very similar thing where I learned through counseling that, you know, in my mind, somewhere early on, I got the wires crossed. And to me, performance equals love, achievement, accomplishment equals love. In other words, I'm only as valuable, I'm only as lovable as what I accomplish. And, and that's, a, that's, a, that's a tough one, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And I I think the, you know, this whole issue, too, that we've lived in in this last generation that has a lot of upside, which is the church having a lot of impact and, you know, being fruitful and, and growing. But I think sometimes the message and I think this is the message I heard is that the level of my external success in my church is what validates my value.
2: Mm -hmm. And so
1: if the numbers were up and to the right and giving and salvations were up and to the right, I felt good about God and about our church and about me. And when they weren't, I didn't. And, you know, now I can look back and go, the truth is there were a lot of weeks I lived and died by the numbers. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, for me, just part of my maturing process is beginning to, realize that there's a downside to some of that that I have to face if I'm going to be healthy. And and I think, you know, a lot of us in ministry have not done the hard work of emotional health, really mm-hmm. differentiating ourselves from our ministry.
0: So how do you do that? I mean, that's definitely an affliction I have, and I think I'm better at it than I used to be. But like, what are some keys to making sure that you do, don't define your... Value based on your performance, that things are always up and to the right, how do you get out of that that trap?
1: I think one is you gotta you know sort of identify this. I think there's just something powerful in just naming it and labeling it mm. and being aware of it. Um, I think another piece for me has been you have to slow down enough to create some space in your life that the voice that you hear is the voice of your heavenly father who delights in you just because you are his kid and not all the voices that tell me to just strive harder and achieve more and be a more effective leader. And again, mm-hmm. it's not an either or it's a both and. Right. Um, and, and I think for me, another key carry has been sort of being able to, I spot this when I begin to feel it, when it, when the emotion or the, sense of, of people pleasing and, uh, approval when that, when I begin to notice it and like, I can head it off at the past quicker than I used to,
0: right it still
1: rears its head, but I've been, I think this last 10 years, I've done a lot of the spade work of trying to really identify it and then know how to sort of redirect that in a healthy way.
0: Well, and one of the challenges might be is, you know, we have far more ways of measuring things than we did two decades ago. I mean, if you have any kind of online presence, I mean, you know, I always say the Internet doesn't lie. You can tell whether a blog post caught on or whether it didn't, whether a sermon got downloaded, whether it didn't get downloaded whether an episode did well or didn't do well on a podcast like this. And I, I mean, there, there are studies out there about what those stats do to our brains, particularly when they're accessible. And I mean, it releases like chemicals in you uh, positively or negatively. Um, what do you do? You just stop checking your stats? Do you just pray about them? Like, how, how do you... How do you handle that is, is like, yeah. I think awareness is key, but like, I find myself praying about it and going, God, I know I'm not my numbers. I know I'm not my numbers, but I still want my numbers to go up and to the right. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I, and,
1: and I, you know, I think that's a very valid point. And I don't think we, you know, pull back and we never check our numbers. Um, but again, I think it's sort of doing the hard work of really examining. So why do I want to know the numbers? Right what, what's really the driver behind that. And, um, and I think really kind of having, you know, doing that spade work of examining your own motives and what's really driving you. Um, Because again, it could be very healthy, but it could also be unhealthy. Um, And I think here's another thing I would just say to people, give yourself permission that this is going to be a long journey. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And and that's okay. Mm. And, to be okay with that. Uh, I do feel like it's really super important though, for people to deal with this because here's what's true. And I'm a lot older than you. I'm 58. And so I get, yeah, I know that I've got a lot more ministry in the rearview mirror than I do in the windshield. And so mm-hmm. you get to be my age, you have a little bit more of the sense of the clock ticking, you know, in your life. But here's what I know to be true. No matter how successful you are and how much everything is up and to the right, Someday the spotlight's going to turn to somebody else. Yeah. And in those days, I think you're going to come back to really where is your identity? Where did you find your value? And one of the passages that's been my favorite the last few years, De- Deuteronomy 30, the end of the chapter has these six words that have kind of become an anchor for me. And it's these six words, for the Lord is your life. Mm. And that's I... Good keep coming back to it's not my it's not my ministry it's not my church it's not you know the number of blog posts it the lord is my life and if i can keep kind of leaning into that coming back to that i think that helps me with that identity issue
0: it's almost like a confession isn't it it's almost like yeah. you <laughs> yeah. you get there and i'm i'm with you you know i turned 50 a couple years ago and, you know, my verse around that time was, I must decrease and Christ must increase, right? It's just that sense that it's not just what I do, it's it's what other leaders do. And I try to remind myself on a regular basis now, Lance, I'm turning this into a counseling session, okay? Just, you know, <laughs> um, I, I, I try to remind myself, hey, one day, you know, people are going to stop reading. One day people are going to stop listening. One day nobody's going to call. One day, you know, people, it, it'll it'll just go away. And I'm trying to prepare myself to be, just fine with that is that I healthy think
1: we've been yeah and i think if we've been making our major pursuit kind of that connection to christ our mm. authentic ongoing if if the relationship is strong i think we can survive whatever vocational transition comes in our life
0: yeah especially if because you you know i think it was actually rick warren who said never place your identity in anything that can be taken away from you yeah yeah that's, yeah. a, that's a really powerful truth because, I mean, it could even be family. It's like, my kids are my life or my wife is my life or, you yeah. know, my money is my life or whatever. Well, no, all that can be taken away from you. Case of Job, yeah, for sure. you know, the Lord will not be taken away from you. But I love that, that the Lord is your life. <laughs> and it's very, very true. We all believe that in our head. But do we do we do we yeah. believe it? Um. So, you you know, leaders, I have so many leaders who tell me, Lance, it's almost impossible for them to turn off, like to take a Sabbath or to even shut down in the evening. And I mean, it's beyond the phones, okay? So turn your phone off, right. throw it in the garbage, you know, drown it, whatever. Your mind doesn't turn off. Like there is no rest for a lot of leaders. In your view, what is behind that?
1: Well, I think on the on the positive side, what's behind that is that we love what we do. Hmm. And I often, when I'm teaching about burnout, I'll often talk about that, a season of blessing is actually the starting place for burnout.
2: Mm. You know,
1: think of Exodus 18 when Mo when Jethro comes to Moses yeah. and he goes to with him to work and watches what he does all day, and he goes, This is nuts. And you're going to wear out yourself and the people. And yeah. it was a season of incredible leadership influence and blessing. And so I think part of this is, gosh, what we get to do, it matters, and we love it, and we're called. And we see people's lives get changed. And and then I think, you know, for a lot of us, we have a really strong work ethic. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you put strong work ethic with a lot of passion and love for what you do. And that's a great recipe for, for never unplugging. And um, so I think, but but I think also part of what's behind that is that sometimes our strong work ethic turns into drivenness.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, that's really part of my story is that I, I worked all the time and, and, and that ended me up in kind of an unhealthy spot. And so I think sometimes some of that drive and our excessive busyness, you know, it can be tied to people pleasing and everybody else's expectations. But there's also an internal sort of just drive in my life. And, so I, when you when you ask that, I kind of think of a couple of things. One is I don't know if you've ever read Henry Cloud's book, Boundaries for Leaders, but one of his mm-hmm. statements I love is he says, "You are ridiculously in charge of your life." <laughs> yeah, and each of us really we can and we should make those decisions about unplugging and finding a Sabbath. And I think part of it goes back to having this conviction about really, what is God's intent for how I live? Um, You know, Dallas Willard used to talk about that your soul is like a stream of water. And even though you didn't create your soul, he says, you're the keeper of the stream. Mm. And I think for every leader, when it comes to a rhythm of life and unplugging, you're the keeper of the stream. and, And that sense of rhythm will determine whether or not the stream is healthy or whether or not it dries up.
0: I think that's, that's really good advice. Now, as a guy who, and I'm just, again, I'm just bouncing this off you trying to imagine where a lot of listeners are and certainly where I am. I still have a hard time unplugging and I get asked about it all the time. And so the thing that I have found the best is I think the principle is just called distraction. Because like, if I sit down and I do nothing. Right. my mind immediately goes back into ministry or what I want to do next or some sermon I'm preaching or some, you know, course I want to develop or, or whatever. I'm like, well, I could do a little more email. And by distraction, I mean something that literally takes my mind away. So that's as simple as a movie, like a movie. If you're really watching a movie, you're not thinking about work. You're not thinking about anything else. You're engrossed in the story. Um, a lot of my hobbies, well, I don't really have a lot of hobbies. We actually were getting back into boating this year. My wife and I bought a boat. And one of the reasons I did that, there are different reasons, but one of them is when I'm on the water, I, I don't work. And it's a social thing. And we build better friendships and better relationships. And I know that if I'm on a boat, because we've owned one for a number of years, uh, and we sold ours last year, so back in this year, um, I do a better job of unplugging is that is that a good strategy, or is that just like, yeah, uh, you know? yeah, I
1: think it's I think it's wise because you're understanding how you're wired mm-hmm. and what works for you. and so i I've often asking leaders kind of this question is I think part of this issue is what do you have outside of ministry that puts life in your tank, and what do you have that drains life from your tank? And so, for me, good when you question. talk about boating, I go, okay. That is a replenishing, life-giving activity that puts life back in your tank. And the truth is, when your soul is filled up and your tank is filled up, you're a better pastor, you're a better husband. Mm -hmm. And so one of the core principles I teach in Replenish is that self-care is not selfish, it's good stewardship.
0: (laughs) That's good.
1: That's good. And that you taking time to get on the boat is actually stewarding your life well. Because your life isn't only ministry,
0: right? Uh, okay, no, that's good to know. You know, and and don't go out and buy a boat. You know, if if, if you're not a, <laughs> a boater, my old boat drove me nuts because it wasn't working for the last two or three years. So finally, I just sold it, and I'm like, this is not putting life into me. This is driving me crazy when you get it to the dock and it doesn't run. But uh, this one should run. So yeah. <laughs> that's the goal. That's good. And, and again, I've tried so many so many hobbies, Lance. And I just, I just don't like them. You know, I'm not a woodworker. I love barbecue, biking and boating. That's it. That's, that's what I like. So uh, that's good. And you need to find that. Uh, You need to find those things. So, um, okay. Is ambition a sin?
1: (laughs) That's a great question. And my non answer is it depends on the kind of ambition. Sure. Um, You know, and I think for me, that's getting down to what's the driver of your ambition. And so I would describe it as I think there's holy ambition. Right. And I think the Bible is full of examples of extremely ambitious people. And ambition is what changes the world. But I also think there can be ego driven and selfish ambition. And I remember a Catholic guy I was reading who really gave an analogy that really helped me put this together because I've always been a sort of type A driven, ambitious person. And, and so he describes ambition as what the ancient church fathers used to call fire in the belly. Mm -hmm. And, and so he says, ambition is like raw electricity and God put it in us and it's full of life, full of potential. It's full of power. But he said that same Potential is also potentially destructive and hurtful. And he says, raw electricity actually becomes productive when you connect it to a transformer. Mm. And it's the transformer that sort of guides it, directs it, governs it, and takes that which is potentially hurtful and makes it useful. And so I think what I would say is, this is about having the transformer of a healthy soul. Wow. That there's, there's ambition and it's, it, if it's God-centered and it's governed by the Holy Spirit, it is an amazing, powerful thing. But if I don't have the transformer of a healthy soul, which means I think it's God-centered, it's humble, it's not finding my value in what I achieve, that when I have that healthy transformer, now my ambition really can be God-directed.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's helpful. That's helpful. But let me ask you, how do you know? That your motivation is God centered and not selfish because we all, unless you have like crushingly low self esteem or, you know, self loathing or self pity or something, that most of us have a little bit of ego we bring to the game. How how do you know it's not you?
1: Well, I think that's a great question. And I don't think there's a simple answer because here's how I would describe it I think our motives and our ambition is sort of this hairball of of God motives and self-directed motives, and there's a mixture of both, right? Yeah. Um, But I do think, one, again, for me, this has been part of the value of learning the practice of solitude and some quiet and silence, is allowing the Holy Spirit to kind of probe around on, so Lance, really, why do you want to do that? What's what's behind that? And so beginning to ask some of those questions— about what drives it and sometimes I don't fully really know that I know the the complete answer. Yeah. But I know it's healthy for me to wrestle with it. I mm-hmm. think the other thing is sometimes the way we know too is sort of by the outward evidence. So am I always making it about myself? Right. Um you know, I often say in in selfish ambition environments there's often not much prayer mm-hmm. because Prayer is, you know, I, I, that's usually done in secret and in quiet. And so it's not about me. Um, you know, so I think sometimes looking at some of the outward things, uh, it can be indicators of what really is the driver for me. But I, there's a verse I wanted to make. It, James 3.16 is this universal axiom that I think is true where he says, anytime you have envy and selfish ambition, you will find disorder in every kind of evil. And we, we've we seen that. I've seen that played out in my own ministry where my ambition and my ego gets in the way and it creates dysfunction in the team. It becomes the elephant in the room that nobody you know, really addresses. And so I do think it's worth wrestling with. And again, it's not clean. It's not black and white. But I do think it's an issue that's worth... Every leader, it's worth them kind of wrestling this one to the ground.
0: You know what? I want um, to link to that scripture in the show notes because I know that scripture very well because I was reading it in my devotions. I think this was just prior to the year that I burned out. Mm. And, you know, sometimes you read the scripture and sometimes the scripture reads you. And when I saw that, you know, wherever there is selfish ambition, there's every kind of evil and discord. I just, the holy, you know, God literally convicted me. Hey, that's you. And the average person, I think, looking on the outside in wouldn't have called it that way, but I knew it was true. And literally, I went back to that passage day after day after day, and I would not let it go until it didn't own me anymore. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to link to that in the show notes. And yeah, it's
1: been, a, it's been a big part of my journey. It's I huge. would say that the coming out of Saddleback, the number one thing that the Holy Spirit shined the spotlight on in my life was this issue. And mm. again, I think in ministry, and uh, this sounds darker than I think it actually is, but we know how to cloak selfish ambition in God talk. Sure, we do. Really, when you peel it back, I think what the Holy Spirit exposed in my life is that often what really was the driver was about my need for significance and affirmation more than it really was God and His glory and the building this beautiful thing called the Bride of Christ. So um, so anyway, kind of a painful journey for me, but honestly a a healthy one as well.
0: Well, and you know, the other, the other thing too, I think it's a question of what can God trust you with? And at the time I was leading yeah. something much, much smaller than what I'm doing now, whether that was in the church or even like this wasn't even a, a thought, doing a podcast or blog or speaking or that sort of thing. But I, I think, you know, not that I handle it perfectly, But I think it would have been a very, very different story, and God had to break me before he could do this. Does it make any sense?
1: Absolutely. And I I think a lot of us have that similar journey where we have to go through some pain and God stripping some things away and some humbling for us to sort of really get this.
0: Well, this is good, man. Okay, keep uh, keep hitting us gently, <laughs> Lance. Right. Uh, isolation, adrenaline addiction, the need for approval. You're pretty relentless in your approach with pastors. I mean, I think I think that owns a lot of us, right? We get isolated. Um, I wonder sometimes if I'm still addicted to adrenaline. You know, I like it when I'm a little bit too busy to handle. And then the need for approval, this idea, whether that's from people or just your stats or whatever, you call out a lot of what I would almost think are occupational hazards for leaders. Um, Talk more about them and why they're a trap.
1: Yeah. Well, I think you're right. I think they're occupational hazards, which to me makes the case for why we've got to mitigate these in our lives, because they will, you know, poison our soul, poison our leadership. you second know, Corinthians seven, one, Paul says, I want you to purify yourself from everything that contaminates body and spirit. Mm. And not everything that is toxic for me is physical. Right. And I think some of the things you talked about, isolation, sort of the adrenaline addiction, all that stuff is stuff that will end up sort of poisoning our souls. And um, I, I, I remember back early on in my very first church, Carrie, I was pastoring a, you know, 60 or 70 person church. And we had a Monday night men's prayer meeting. And it was a time to pray, but it was also a time for the guys in the ministry to sort of chew the fat and just talk about life. And I remember one Monday night, the topic of another church in town sort of came up and they were without a pastor. And one of the guys in our group just said, Hey, I'm thinking about applying. I can't imagine a better job get a full-time salary for a part-time, you know, job of being a pastor. <laughs> so and and I and I know this guy it really w- was just kind of good-natured banter. Right. But I could take you back and I would probably have been maybe 24 at the time. Right. And I could take you back to that room on that couch where I was sitting and I remember word for word what I thought when that guy said that and what I thought was I'll show you guys. Mm-hmm. I'll work harder. I'll 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 be here first. I'll go home last. You will never accuse me of being a lazy pastor. And what happened in my soul? This drive to somehow get validated by these guys and make sure they thought I was, you know, a, a, a good pastor, ended up doing damage to my own soul, doing damage to my family and my marriage, and um, and it became toxic.
2: For mm-hmm. me. And so
1: um, that for me is sort of that, you know, as you said, sort of the ugly underbelly, um, because it, it doesn't just stay inside of you. It, it leaks out on all the people around you. And I think sometimes we end up trying to manage the externals rather than getting down to the root problem, which yeah. I feel like we've already we spent some time today talking about that. But I think every healthy leader has got to spend some time sort of becoming a student of their own soul, their own emotions, the stuff from our family of origin that impacts our our ministry today, and we gotta we have to lean into that stuff because it does play out in how I lead my church, how I shepherd my team,
0: and mm-hmm.
1: uh, and, and it's and it's humble to lean in because some stuff gets revealed and exposed that we'd rather not confront.
0: Oh, totally. Now, you work with literally hundreds, probably thousands of pastors uh, over the last decade, and a lot of them one-on-one, right? So this is, this is kind of your everyday these days, and you see people come in in this condition. And I think a lot of us as leaders, regardless of the title, position, we hold, size, of church we are involved in, uh, you've named some stuff here that, that maybe makes us feel a little uncomfortable and a little alarmed. How do you begin the undoing or the reconstruction of this negative stuff that we all struggle with?
1: Uh, I think one is just to realize this is the norm of the human race. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm a person before I'm a pastor. And, you know, so I think that's part of it. But I also, so sometimes I'll do this message on sort of kind of these foundational pillars of a healthy soul. And the place that I start is, you have to take personal responsibility for the health of your soul. Mm. You got to own this for yourself. It's not up to your elders. It's not up to your spouse. Um, and the general gotta,
0: condition of the untended soul is to get unhealthy. Is that fair? <laughs> it doesn't yeah, get better it on its own. So, yeah,
1: the natural drift is toward unhealth. Right. Yeah. I never drift into greater health. Right. Uh, but I, I love this. Uh, I mentioned to you that Deuteronomy thirty passage where the Lord kind of invites Israel back into this life of blessing. And he says, you know, if you'll come back to me, I'll prosper you. I'll protect you from your enemies. I'll give you buffer crops. I'll make your businesses succeed. But then verse 11, I love this verse. He says, now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you. And it's not out of your reach. And to me, what that verse says is like, this is accessible to you and has nothing to do with the size of your church or whether or not you've Sp- spoken at a conference or published a book—it has nothing to do with that. And um, and I, so, if, if you don't mind, I, I've got this I, Go a ahead. story of, gosh, I, um, so again, in my last days there at Saddleback, it, it was—I was in a pretty unhealthy place, and the the place that it really played out the ugliest was at home. Mm. And um, you know, my wife Connie would be patient up to a point, but then just the pace of life and out of control nature of our family just would finally get the best of her. And we'd have, you know, one of those come to Jesus meetings. And, um, and, you know, we had this script we went through pretty much every time, which was kind of like, you know, you're never here. The kids don't get the time they need with you. I don't see you much. Even when you're here, you're not really here. You're always checked out. You're always, you work all the time. And and I would always kind of play my victim card, which would be, hey, babe, you know, you just don't understand. This is my ministry and, and this is just for a season, but it's going to get better. And in one of our most intense arguments, one day she looked at me and said, there's always a reason or a season why you can't be who you're supposed to be. Wow. And, <laughs> and she was, you know, I mean, she was right. And I think that was for me a beginning point of going, I am who I am because of decisions I've been making. Wow. And and I have to own the health of my own soul. And so I think it starts with you 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 are the keeper of the stream of your soul. Hmm. I'm not I'm not a victim when it comes to this. Yeah, the
0: church didn't do this to you, the elders didn't do this to you, the staff, your boss, nobody did this to you. You did this to you.
1: I did this to me. And hmm. the path to health begins by owning it. And then I think becoming a student of your own soul and your interior
0: life. So here's a question, and I do get this question quite a bit from leaders when I meet with them one-on-one or in groups. I had it yesterday, actually, for a group I was teaching in Toronto. And, and they said, okay, I want a new day. And I wasn't talking particularly about soul care, but I mean, any change you want to make, you're, you're basically part of an ecosystem in your church, right? Like they expect you, you're on call 24-7, whether that's healthy or not and there's some light bulbs going on leaders are saying okay i'm going to take responsibility i'm going to take time off i'm going to you know set up some boundaries but like how do you reteach a church to respect the new you
1: yeah well i i do think if you want to make a radical change a lot of times you're not going to tweak your way into that
2: <laughs> yeah you
1: know you're not going to make the 1 degree shift If you're going to make a fairly radical change, it's going to take a radical shift. And you probably have to declare a bit of a new day. And then I think here's the other thing. You just start modeling. Hmm. You start living, you start owning it. And again, know that you're going to disappoint some people because you've had a, I always say you've, you've had a social contract with your church about how things function. Right. And one of those social contracts is you're always available. Right. And if now you change the rules, you can expect there to be a little bit of angst and frustration. And so I think, one, you've got to start modeling it and then trying to bring people along in your church so they get it. Start with yourself and your family and your team and begin to live it out there and then slowly begin to kind of get this out through the whole congregation. Um, But just but again, it doesn't happen overnight and you got to be smart about change management. But I think it starts with you.
0: I think that's really good advice. And maybe, you know, let me bounce this off you. I'll tell leaders, you know, obviously it starts with your family and so on. But maybe maybe you want to start, if you have a good elder team, with your elder team or your staff or your executive team or your associate or, you know, in a small church, large church, whatever that looks like. What do you think? Like, would you, would you start there?
1: A- absolutely. And, and again, I wouldn't start with sort of just declaring all the changes. I would invite them into what has been your own journey and what's behind the need for some of these changes and that this really is God's best and God's plan. Um, And so I think, again, sort of just being that wise shepherd to know how to do that, you're going to disappoint some people. Yeah.
0: Not everyone's going to get it. And, and don't blame them. Own it. Just say, you know what? I've let myself get unhealthy and I want to be healthier. And as a result, you know, can you guys help me? I would love to be able to um, to just get better. And these are some of the boundaries. The other thing that I think frustrates a lot of leaders, Lance, and I'd love for you to comment on this, is they're like, well, okay, I've got a new day and Friday's my day off. Actually, I just answered this by email a couple couple days ago. Friday's my day off, Saturday's my day off. But like people keep texting me and people keep calling me. Like nobody respects that that's my day off. Any thoughts on that?
1: Um, yeah, I think one is again, you're ridiculously in charge of your life. You mm-hmm. you know, you, you can turn off your notifications, you can turn off your phone if you want. And and so I, I think first off, it's it starts with you because it's never gonna be perfect and there's always going to be stuff that, that crops up and people are going to people have to learn also how to respect it. Um, I think this also goes to, secondly, <clears throat> you beginning to help create a new culture where we mutually respect that, mm-hmm. where I respect your Sabbath and I don't call you when you're in the evenings having time with your family. Right. Um, and so it takes a little bit of time. But I've seen some churches really make significant shifts to where now this stuff is in the DNA of how they do staff life. But and it takes a
0: little while. It does. It totally does. And, and I always think just because they called doesn't mean you have to answer, right? Exactly. And that, that took a long time for me to figure out because I just felt guilty all the time. And then just call them back the next day and say, hey, I'm so sorry. Yesterday I was with my family. How can I help you? Yep. And that's okay. Okay. Absolutely. Well, this is good. I want to talk about Sabbath before we're done, just quickly. Because I think most leaders do a terrible job of it. A lot of them do. I do. Let me put it this way: driven leaders do a bad job of it. Fair enough. Um and and so what are some keys to taking a Sabbath? We talked about distraction. Not everyone's gonna buy a boat, not everybody should buy a boat, but like what are some other principles at work?
1: All right. So before I give you something on that, let me I think back up just a bit because I do think your own Theological conviction about this is the foundation, because if if you believe this is just kind of a nice idea. And I remember when I was when the, when the pace of my life was out of control and and, I, you know, and I was excessively busy and running on empty and someone would talk about Sabbath. Go, oh, that just sounds nice. Sounds refreshing to have a, a day like that. Which is way different than you believing this is actually a biblical command. Right. And it is core to my spiritual formation. Mm. That's a totally different place to stop from because here's what I know about me because of the external demands and the internal nature of being driven, the gravitational pull of busyness will always win in my life. Yeah. If I don't have a sense of conviction. So I think you got to put a bit of a stake in the ground Good. around this because if if I don't do that I'll never kind of, it'll never win in my life so having Good. said that I'd say on the practical side I think one of the biggest things that never gets talked about much is the whole issue of in order to do Sabbath well you have to prepare hmm. I think about all those families in Israel when they practice Sabbath there were things that had to be done ahead of time so they could actually unplug. They had chores and animals to feed and stuff to prepare at home so they could actually enjoy Sabbath. And so the two biggest things I've done that helped me prepare are number one is um, I get it on my calendar. And so because I travel so much, my Sabbath isn't always the same day. But if you looked at my calendar for the next year out, Sabbath is on there. And and the second thing, it helps for me to call it Sabbath. Mm. That's something different for me than just day off. Okay. Um, so I think preparing, and for some, I'd say to a lot of pastors who are listening to this, you need to have a really honest conversation with your family and your spouse about what it would look like for you guys to actually honor this and and build this into your life, depending on the season of your life and. Kids at home. Kids not at home. It may need to look different, but again, if you start with this theological conviction, then you go, "Okay, we're going to figure it out. This is a biblical command, and we're going to do it."
0: Okay, so can can I ask you? And again, this is descriptive, not prescriptive. Yeah. Not that you should go and do it. What does a Sabbath often look like for you these days, Lance?
1: Yeah. So um, for me, Sabbath. I'm I'm an early riser. I'm up before Connie. And so um, Sabbath begins for me by I go and get a candle mm. and I put it on the corner of our island and I light the candle. And the Jews do this thing called Havdalah where they light a candle to remind them that this day is different than mm. the rest. And so I do that as kind of that reminder, because, again, I, I can get in this sort of just get busy. And then, you know, I usually start with a little bit of just coffee time, just alone. But then I I read, I'll read some. I'm again, I'm an active person. So I like to get out, whether it's working in the yard or doing, you know, a, a hike, or um, sometimes Connie and I will just go and have lunch together. Um, but it's, it's a day that um, is filled with stuff that re- replenishes me. The other thing mm. I try to do is I try to have a little bit different connection with God that day than normal. So I try to have a little more unhurried time with God. Um, So, you know, the Bible talks about the Sabbath being as unto the Lord. And so I think this, and I'm kind of ashamed this didn't dawn on me till just the last year or so, but one day it just kind of dawned on me like, oh, I think one of the reasons God gave me Sabbath is not just so that I could rest, but honestly, so he and I could have quality time together. (laughs) Like it was like God built in a structure and a system to go, I want to make sure you and I get a little more than just a quick connection in the morning and prayer a little bit throughout the day. But like we have a little bit more quality unhurried time together. And so I try to like linger over scripture a little bit more. Um, I love good worship music. And so I'll sit with that a little bit more during that day than normal. Um, But it's not a, you know, it's not for me a day to just sit and do nothing. Um, Like you, it's it's an active day, but it's stuff that fills me up. And people say, well, how do you know what's work and what's not work? And that's, of course, where the Jews got into trouble, right, is trying to define all that. And I always try to just use this simple principle. If it feels like an ought to or it sucks life out of me, I try not to do it on my Sabbath.
2: Hmm. If it
1: feels like it's putting life in me, I try to build that kind of stuff into myself.
0: Wow. You know, that that is actually one of the better, if not the best explanation I've heard of just in very practical terms and as somebody who's always struggled with Sabbath, like truly Sabbath, that that's very convicting and extremely helpful and I love the way your day starts and I I love that it is not a retreat from, it's an advance into, right? It's an advance into your relationship with God, an advance into life. Um, that's, that's great, Lance. Man.
1: Well, let me, can yeah, I say one
0: thing you, about You can this? say whatever you want.
1: There's a guy, a friend of mine, he, he's a business guy in Atlanta, young f- family. And so he's in a different season. But they have figured out for their young family, with kids at home, what they do is he's a morning person. So his wife gives him the gift of Saturday morning to do whatever he wants, whether it's go play golf with a buddy, have breakfast, whatever. But he that's his time to fill his tank. He comes home at lunch and they hand off the kids. And now the afternoon is his wife's time to do whatever she wants. Um, and great. they have also said with their kids that Saturdays are a no technology day. So we don't do video games. We're not on the iPhone. We un, kind of unplug from watching TV. And so it's a day that's more about relationships and activity. And then he said that night, um, we do a dinner like a Sabbath dinner. He said, but, but because we don't want it to feel like work, it's not a big production. Mm. Usually we just bring something in. And sometimes it's just our family. And sometimes we'll invite another family from the church. But it's highly relational. And what I love about what my friend has done is he has been intentional to go, we're gonna figure this out for the season of life that we're in. And I love that.
0: That's great. That's great. And you know what? I think I think the New Testament gives a lot of freedom with Sabbath yeah. observance, most most of which means we just ignore it. It's like I'll shop or do the yard work or whatever, <laughs> right? But but it is it is an advance into that. That's so good. And I think the different examples, you know, I'm pretty convicted. I think I'm gonna finish this interview and then go immediately into my calendar and block some Sabbath yeah. time off. This is good. Sure. This is really good. Lance, man, there are going to be people who want to connect with you. There's probably, you do some one-on-one stuff too, don't you?
1: Yeah. I, um, uh, you know, I do life planning. I do life coaching where right. uh start with a guy, you know, come and spend an entire day together. And then we do the rest of it virtually and
0: and you write, I mean you've written replenish and you've got a blog that you write on. And I think people want to connect uh with you. So where's the easiest place to find you online?
1: Yeah. Um replenish.net is uh the simplest place to um, you know, kind of connect with with my website. And then I also have lancewit.com. Uh and so um and then on Twitter you you know, it's replenish me or lance underscore wit. And so um, either of those would be be fine too. So thank you.
0: Hey, Lance, you've really helped a lot of leaders today. I, I just want to say thank you so much for what you do. And I love what God is doing with your life these days. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Carrie. It's an honor. Uh, and thank you for what you're doing to bless the body of Christ. It's, it's amazing.
0: It's a joy. Most days I just can't believe I get to do this. So thank Enough. you, Lance. Thank you. Well, I hope that was great for your soul. And you're going to want more resources, so you can head over to the show notes. Every week, I get people like, where are the show notes? Go to leadlikeneverbefore.com, click blog, or use the little search thing. Uh, there's a little search window up at the top, right? Just type in Lance Witt, and you will find them. Or you can go straight to com slash episode 142, com slash episode 142. That's where the show notes are. Hey, we're back next week with a fresh episode. I'm sitting down with David Platt. And a lot of you would know that name depending on the circles that you run with. And David and I have the most refreshing conversation on overcoming the struggles of his first decade of leadership. He's a young leader, has had an incredible impact. And you know sometimes we see everything, it looks like it's up and to the right. And David is just so honest about, yeah, some of the struggles he encountered. Here's an excerpt. Yeah, just to be totally vulnerable, like it, it led to some discord between some staff that ended up; those staff ended up not continuing on there. So that, yeah, that, again, that
1: was part of the painful part. But so sure. what we did to get out of it um,
0: was with leaders, like we I, we tried to work through how can we kind of keep everybody in place and and create structures, but it just wasn't working and so ended up so with with new leadership and so it was like okay what are the non-negotiable foundations we need to set up in this church Well thanks again to trainedup.church for um, making sure this is possible also to past sponsors like the unstuck group if your church is stuck get it unstuck. And hey, if you haven't gone back and listened to Tony Morgan, episode 140, um, he talks all about the life cycle of the church and make sure that uh, you figure out where your church is at. And they've even got a free assessment for you to take as well. So drop back a couple episodes and listen there. So you can do that. Hey, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, would you do it? Wherever you listen on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, Stitcher Tune and Radio, Google Play, wherever, just subscribe because uh, then you're not going to miss a thing. And I had a privilege, it's not going to be on for a few months, but uh, of sitting down with Eugene Peterson. And man, oh man, what a gem. That one's coming up in August. And you're like, like, what date? What date? What date? No, see if you subscribe, it just automatically shows up on your phone. So that's the magic of free subscription. Thanks to everybody who made this podcast possible. Thanks to you for all you do. Uh, and I really hope that this episode helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.